Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. The offseason is truly here now that Jim Harbaugh has made it official that he is staying at Michigan. We can put 2022 to rest. We'll talk Harbaugh staying and Garrett Riley going from TCU to Clemson with the recurring guest and my friend, Paul Meyerberg from USA Today. What does Harbaugh staying put say about the state of Michigan football? What does Dabo Sweeney bringing in Riley say about the state of Clemson football? And soon, Alabama will be in the market for coordinators on both sides of the ball. What does that say about where Nick Saban thinks the program goes next? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the show, friend of the show, my friend, my uh, neighbor here in Brooklyn, a recurring guest, Paul Meyerberg from USA Today. Hi, Paul. How are you? It was so great to spend time with you in person the last couple of weeks covering college football playoff games. Yeah, it was it was weird um, to mix with people um, at that location, <laughs> at that site for two games. It felt very normal. We talked about that a bit as a group. Um, it just felt like a very normal, very normal college football playoff semi and, and championship game. Other than the 58-point result, everything was very normal about it for us, from our perspective at least. Yeah, maybe we can just put a quick bow on that before we talk about the news of the week here. And uh, I I feel like that was uh, certainly resounding and impressive by Georgia. But I, I can't help but feel a little disappointed for TCU because while you and I, who are passionate about the sport, who cover the sport, intently and intensely we'll always remember this TCU team as being you know for the good times right we'll always remember them for the good times I do think that they unfortunately when you lose in the way they did at the end in historic fashion you will end up being remembered to a certain degree more for that at on a certain level than maybe the good times that came ahead of it. And I think that's unfortunate. And again, I'm thinking more along the lines for casual fans, but like the stain of 65, seven, that that's hard. That's hard to wash off. Yeah. This is like, um, they turned into a pumpkin in a pretty big way. Yeah. And um, then got run on over that Monday night. Yeah. yeah several times. It was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it we was like Gallagher with the, the Gallagher. No, I knew Gallagher did watermelons, but it was like Gallagher, yeah. like Georgia was Gallagher with uh rip Gallagher, by the way, uh, with the sledgehammer and, and they were the pumpkin. <laughs> I think Georgia was the sledgehammer. Um, right. Okay. Maybe maybe Kirby Smart's Gallagher. Okay. Um, you know, it was, it was one of those games. Like we've covered a million games. A lot of times, I mean, even from the couch or from home, wherever, you get a really good feel for a game. Like maybe in, I mean, as little as half a quarter, like you can get a really good feel for a game and be like, I know how this is going to play out. Um, this was a type of game, Ralph. I think was over in like eight plays. Um, legitimately, eight plays. A three and out. A punt, nine plays, a punt, and then a, a five-yard touchdown drive from Georgia. And I think we both looked at each other and said, this one, 
this one's probably done, guys. And it was, you know, 11.30 left in the first quarter. So it wasn't that great a game, I think, probably fair to say. Um, but, yeah, 58-point uh, loss, you kind of wear that around your neck for a while. Despite being a, a Cinderella story, it's going to be hard for them to shake that label. I mean, if nothing else, they're going to be uh, – ESPN's got a ready graphic for the next 30 years that's going to show this score every time there's a blowout in the big game. So that's going to be in part TCU's legacy for better or worse, mostly for worse. Okay, let's um yeah, and, and again, unfortunate they were a moment in time TCU and um what also happened to them after that game is a few days later they lost a key piece of their coaching staff uh, of what got them to that game and that is uh Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator, uh was hired away by Clemson. And and while I think it's certainly, you know, uh, no offensive coordinator is irreplaceable, TCU will move on. The real news of this story is the other end of it, is the fact that Dabo Sweeney hired a big-name offensive coordinator, jettisoned one of his guys, uh, Brandon Streeter, who he had relied, who he had promoted from within last year. And I don't know. I mean, like, you know, this is not the first time Dabo did this when he brought in Brent Venables and Chad Morris way back at the before Clemson was what Clemson became. So it's not necessarily something new to Dabo, but I do think that him reaching outside of the Clemson walls to try to rejuvenate a part of his program is notable. Yeah. It's not new to Dabo. It's just been 12 years, you know, since he's done it, uh, since the last time he shook up his program. Um, I think from a TCU perspective, and both of these thoughts are not, I don't believe contradictory. I don't think TCU is necessarily going to struggle without Garrett Riley. Uh, Garrett Riley is a young guy who is rising up the ranks. He's going to have a long and potentially brilliant coaching career. Um, but I don't worry too much about TCU moving on without him, if that makes any sense. Nonetheless, um, as a shakeup move for Clemson, yeah, it's it's a big one, and I think it could pay off in a big, big, big way. Um, then again, look, we all watched Clemson this year. I think a bunch of us were together watching the Orange Bowl, and it's pretty obvious that that the issues are schematic, yeah, but they're also personnel-related. So um as much as they need Garrett Riley, I think Clemson needs to readdress their skill position, certainly at wide receiver. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say he's going to have a Chad Morris-like transformative effect on Clemson and say that they're going to bounce back and play for a national championship um, until they address that concern. But this is a move in the right direction. And I would say that for Dabo, it's probably the toughest choice that he's ever made as a coach. Um, I think firing Billy Napier in 11 and hiring Morris, or firing Napier in 10 and then hiring Morris was much, much, much easier than this. Like you said, Streeter has been with him and with this program for the duration. So um, I think that gives a sense of of urgency uh, that we all were kind of pleading Dabo to feel. Clearly, he felt that. And, and this move um, uh, cements the idea that he knows that he, a, a change has to be made for Clemson at this point. But you're right. I think there's also a, a personnel issue as well. And that probably needs to be, I I will be fully convinced Dabo is ready to move forward into a new era when uh, Clemson starts diving into the transfer portal. 
At, at least a little. Yeah. I'm not saying that you need to bring in 10 to 12 new players because Georgia doesn't do that and Alabama doesn't do that and Ohio State doesn't do that. And Clemson, uh, while they're not recruiting quite, quite at that level, should be sort of uh, toward, should be playing in that sandbox, right? They don't need a, a half dozen or a dozen transfers, but I, I do, I still would like to see them be more aggressive because you saw last year. I mean, essentially they went back, they rolled it back with these same players that they played with the year before, for the most part, the same roster. Uh, the offense did get better on, uh, under Brandon Streeter as compared to the 2021 offense, which was last in the ACC, but they were still a limited group. And, and you have to wonder if there weren't players available that could have made them better. How could there not have been some players available uh, on uh, in the transfer portal that could have made them better? So that's what I'm waiting for next. Uh, the, the coaching move is a good idea, but I think he really needs to try to start dabbling in some transfers. Yeah, and, and the Alabama uh, comparison, I think, is a really apt one for Clemson. Clemson is not has never been a run players off program. I know that's a little bit strong thing to say, but they've never been a program that was churning through the roster and over, you know, overwriting any mistakes quickly on the recruiting trail. Um, the, the transfer portal has allowed programs to be more aggressive that way. And I think for Clemson, as much as it's about remaining true to who you are as a recruiting program, which is get to know our guys, have faith in them, and they'll have faith in us. Um, this is a, a weapon for places like Clemson and Alabama to pick and choose, you know, four to six guys, very specific guys for very specific roles every offseason. They don't need to have the 15 to 20 like some places. Um, and it's a weapon that Clemson hasn't tapped into. So I'm with you. Um, I look at their roster right now, and I would think that um, they would be very, very, very heavy players for every receiver that entered the portal to at least kick the tires on them. And, and they haven't really been. But they so haven't, right? I mean, there's been receivers that have gone out all, all over the country. We've had some interesting receivers sign, and Clemson hasn't been a, a peep on any of them. So apparently we're going forward with the same strategy with transfers for Dabo, which is no strategy, which is we're not really going to do that. Best of luck to you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, best of luck to you because everyone you're playing is trying to rebuild their roster post haste. And Clemson, if you're going to be happy with who you are and what you got, then gosh, Ralph, I really want to. I, I really want to praise Dabo in a sense for his um, ability to take a step back and reflect on what success means. Like they won the ACC, they played in a major bowl, so they lost to Tennessee. Whatever, they still had a great year. You know, not every year is going to be a national championship. I want to applaud the fact that he's able to take a step back and focus on what's successful and what's not. But I also think that Clemson is doing itself a disservice by not being aggressive. So I don't know. I'm, there's a push and pull there. I want to praise him, but I also everyone agrees that Clemson needs to be more proactive when it comes to improving the quality of their roster at very specific spots. There, there's a broader discussion here, and we could easily fall down a rabbit hole because I've gotten into this conversation about Clemson on this show a bunch, and that is, do you think Clemson will win another national championship in the next five years? Or are they that yes. program anymore? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I would say yes. Okay. Like, this is a great question. I think I asked a couple people this question about Georgia over under two and a half in the next 10 years, you know, uh, which seems like a hell of a lot until you watch them the last two seasons and realize that may, they may win another next year. Um, I would say that if you set it at 0.5 for Clemson, let's just say 
Give, give me the the entirety of Dabo's tenure the rest of the time there. Will he win a national championship again? Yeah, I do. He's, I don't know how much a, longer he's, he's got. Maybe he's a another pretty 10 young, or 12 years. Yeah, he's a pretty young guy. That could be a long tenure, um, but it's also hard to predict these things. Okay, I don't want to get stuck on Clemson too long. Again, I've been in that conversation. There was other big news. and um, I mean, the biggest news just happened 24 hours before we started recording this, give or take 24 hours, maybe 20. Um, and that is Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan. Um, I mean, to sum up... <laughs> Like um, NFL, we kind of did this a little bit last year, but in some ways it it seemed a little different this year than last year uh, as far as NFL interest and Harbaugh. Uh, in some ways, it seemed like there might be more. There was more interest and more serious interest, but then again, maybe in the long run there really wasn't. Maybe it was just being driven uh, to to seem that like there was more interest. There's also the element of some NCAA violations, which nobody really cares about anymore. But Michigan is Michigan, and they care about these things probably more than most. And really, as I tried to get across to people who maybe follow me on Twitter, this was all basically a contract negotiation. Everything about the Harbaugh, all the leaks, all the the stories, source stories, some of the stuff having to do with um, with um, the NCAA violations, all of this sort of like got thrown into a pot called a contract negotiation. And apparently... Jim and uh, new Michigan president Santa Ono have a really good relationship and and Harbaugh's staying at Michigan, which I is good for is good for Michigan, right? Oh, it's great for Michigan. He's got the ultimate hype man right now in in President Ono. Um, I don't think he's got a bigger fan um, in the entire state than that than, than the president of the university and and there's worse friends to have for sure, Ralph, but I'm just curious, are we going to do this every year? Like, is this going to be a thing every year? I asked somebody Maybe. that. I texted somebody that yesterday, and, and, and they said no, but I don't believe them. Um, <laughs> even though I don't think they're lying to me, I, I, I don't believe them. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is becoming – look, we've had two years of it in a row. I hesitate to think that if they win another Big Ten title, that you're not going to hear his name connected with L.A. Chargers next year or, you know, Washington football team next year i I think it's going to be an annual thing i don't know how to quiet that conversation i think the quietest or the best way to quiet it ralph is for jim harbaugh not to start it or not to participate in it but i don't i don't know if that's going to stop either you know and maybe that's the price you pay among others or having harbaugh be your coach in addition to you know college football playoff berths and big 10 championships but it's going to get tiring at some point don't you think i i do um i still wonder if there was if we are we still because clearly in after the 2021 season it turns out that there wasn't that much interest in Harbaugh coming to the NFL and the Vikings were were interested but but maybe not super interested and and maybe he overplayed his hand there and thought he was a little bit farther along than he was this year there definitely seemed to be more interest i i do think Harbaugh had some people sort of working to advocate for him in the space, maybe more than he did the year before. Uh, I know he still does not have an, an official agent, but I do think that there were maybe some folks, you know, again, working to advocate for him. Um, so all that said, I, I find myself wondering, like, 
if there was a really good offer, would he have left? Like, I still think that maybe he stayed at Michigan because nobody really, really, really wanted him. Like, basically said, hey, Jim, you are not just our guy. You are, you, you, we're handing you the keys to the franchise. And I do wonder if he had such a good thing going at Michigan that maybe he would have left if there was a real, there was a team out there that really went to the mat for him. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I just wonder also at the same time if, if you really asked him if he believes that Michigan is his best place, best place for him today, tomorrow, and for the long term. I just very infrequently or there are very few jobs where you can get a guy into that seat and have him truly admit that this is where I want to be for the duration. Michigan to me is one of those programs, and I think it might make Michigan people very uncomfortable with the idea that this is an elite job. We pay our coach an elite amount of money to run an elite program, and we don't know if he's going to be here forever. I, I think that makes people uncomfortable. And not just at Michigan. I think it'd be the case at any program, Alabama, Ohio State, USC. To not have that certainty, it has an impact in Michigan's on-field performance, but I do think it makes people uncomfortable. And I, and I think, obviously, for the, the betterment of that relationship, as good as it is between him and Ono, um, you know, I don't think it's good for him and Ward Manuel. No, and I, um, I think that's clearly a relationship that right now is not as strong. Let's just say not. I don't want to be presumptuous here or overly presumptuous, but isn't clearly not as strong as it maybe it could or should be. Um, absolutely but, not. But it's yeah. also a working relationship, and I think you know. I think there's also a world where uh, if Michigan was maybe a little. I mean, think the thing is, things are going so well right now. And as much as I think that they really do like Sharon Moore, and I think that they really do like Mike Hart, and I think that they probably view both of those men, both of those assistant coaches, as future head coaches, possibly future head coaches at Michigan, I also do wonder if they think, boy, things are going so well right now, maybe we shouldn't, like, let's just keep everything in place. Like maybe we don't want to rush one of those guys into being a 30-year-old, 30-something-year-old head coach at Michigan, especially when we might have an even better team next year than we had this year. In other words, I, well, this, I, do you think there's a, there's a, there, there are probably some Michigan folks who are just like, you know what, Jim, just go already. But then they, they take a step back and go, oh, but do we really want to do that going into next year? Yeah. 2023 um, for Michigan is shaping up to be a, a special year. Um, I really do think that. I've got the number two in my poll. That's only because I can't have Georgia not number one, you know, in my early top 25. I think Michigan's loaded. So, yeah, um, they want to keep the band together. I think if at this point you have to pick between your AD and your coach, it's pretty obvious the coach is going to win that battle. And if he does, you know, I don't think it's going to be more than a hiccup for Michigan. I think losing Harbaugh, I mean, not that. I'm, I'm predicting anything, but losing Harbaugh obviously is a bigger deal than losing Ward Manuel. No disrespect to him. I just feel like Michigan probably views him as more expendable than, than Jim Harbaugh based off not what he's done the last two years, but this concept, Ralph, I think we all buy into that Michigan has kind of pushed that rock up the hill and they're, they are currently on flat ground or, or, you know, the, the hard part's done in other words, and that they are rolling right now with Harbaugh and, and the, the future is obscenely bright. I do think they're on a collision course for the national championship. They got to get through a Georgia. Um, but with Harbaugh on this team in 23 and what he's building and, and what they seem to have maintained, it, 
you know, we're, we're in the heyday right now for Michigan football. They haven't had a run of two years like this in a long time. And, and 23 could be a, a, a peak year for the program. Yeah, uh, and that's saying something. Listen, I don't think I don't think Ohio State's going away, and I think Penn State's going to be very good next year. But you're right. I mean, I just think that Michigan is set up pretty good. Listen, there's always more. There's always more that can be done uh, with NIL and more commitments there, and uh, and you clearly have a president who is all in on on making the sports programs and making football really good at Michigan, um, which is something that maybe was holding back the program a bit at one point. During Harbaugh's earlier time period, listen, I'm just happy that he is still in college football because I think he's a weird guy. Um, and I say that um, uh, not, not pejoratively. I think he's an he's a bit of an odd an odd cat, and I like that in college football. You know, I always tell people all the time, like, I don't really know Harbaugh very well. It is hard to crack that nut. It is hard to sort of get into that space. Um, So it's not like I'm around Harbaugh a lot, and if I had to cover him all the time, I might not enjoy his stuff, his his act quite as much. Uh, That program is a bit of a fortress. Uh, But I like having him in this sport, in this side of the sport. I just think he makes college football more interesting it is more interesting when he's at Michigan and Michigan is really good so to try to get too deep into whether he would have gone like what I'm trying to do well maybe he would have gone if the Broncos gave him everything he wanted I don't know it's really hard to figure out Jim Harbaugh it's you know here's a guy who may have created one of the you know the the one of the epic own goals of all time with a minor NCAA investigation that he you know stubbornly didn't wasn't forthright about and may have turned it into a level one violation where he might get suspended for a game or two next year um also something that should be noted that like I think Michigan was a little hesitant at first on what this NCAA investigation might might reveal and I think that there was some concern out of the Michigan camp that you know maybe Harbaugh would be so frustrated with the NCAA and how that went down that that's one of the reasons why he wanted to leave and just hey I got to get out of here this is ridiculous I'm out of here Clearly, I think now after, you know, a couple of weeks, they, they probably seem to realize that, you know, even if he were to get a couple of games suspension, maybe that's a good way to, uh, you know, to introduce Sharon Moore head coach right <laughs> next year. Yeah. They have a, they have mm-hmm. a very I think it's East Carolina and a couple of other pushovers at the beginning of next year. Again, for some reason, you know, without bailing on UCLA, they have no marquee non-conference game next year, Michigan. So maybe if he does get popped for a couple of games, it's a good way to, to you know, to get your 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 future head coach a little experience. Anyway, that's a lot of me rambling to say it's hard to really know the motivations of Jim Harbaugh, but he is back. And I think that's better for college football. And I think that's better for Michigan. I want to add one thing about Harbaugh, Ralph. I really could real quick. I, I will say like a little anecdote. I remember sitting next to uh, one of our peers who's been covering this business for a long time at the championship game. I'm sorry, at the Fiesta Bowl. And this gentleman said to me, yeah, you know, you can get Harbaugh to talk. You just got to know the trick. And I was like, well, what's the trick? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you what the trick is. <laughs> so there's a way out there to get Harbaugh to open up. I just, uh, the secret's going to go uh, with this gentleman. Yeah. And, um, and you also have a har- very few opportunities to, to tap into it, too. That's the other problem. Like, again, he doesn't grant a lot of audiences. Exactly. And you know what? Th- this is, 
and we don't want to you know focus too much on Harbaugh, and I understand, but th- this is a a this has been a crucial month, I think, um, not just with the NCAA investigation and the fallout, but I think Michigan as a program and Harbaugh in specific probably needs to take a pretty long look in the mirror at how they prepared for TCU, how they carried themselves that week, um, how they brought themselves into that game from a confidence and overconfidence, cockiness perspective, and really learn from that experience. They had no business losing that game. Um, I know it's three weeks in the past, but they lost that game because they didn't imagine that any way that they could lose. So I think that's going to force them back to the drawing board a bit and how they prepare, how they get ready for this event, because they'll be back. And they need to maximize these three or four weeks between the end of the regular season and the playoff in a better way than they did against TCU. That was a, an error and, and a borderline embarrassment for Michigan and for Harbaugh. Um, do you have any thoughts about uh, poor uh, – I shouldn't say poor, poor Pete Golding because he landed on his feet. Uh, Alabama and is, is Alabama will soon be in the, in the market for two coordinators. They have moved on from Pete Golding. So the, the narrative on Pete Golding is – um, they found a nice place in North Mississippi to drop him off, <laughs> and so he can run around and play with other um, other assistant coaches. Uh, <laughs> like, but, make it seem like they put a they they flush a turtle down the toilet. Well, um, no, it no. is in a way like it is, but go. I'm also but there's also been some put. I want I want I'm I'm kidding around, but uh, I'm being facetious. But there has also been some pushback out of Tuscaloosa. Like, no, 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 he he was a valued coach, and it wasn't just a matter of 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 Nick sort of saying the, you know what. It's time for you to get a new job. We will help you get a new job, but it's time for you to get a new job because that happens a lot. With I don't think Pete Golding did that bad a job over his years as defensive coordinator at Alabama. He is now at Ole Miss, and Alabama is in, in the market for a new coordinator, and they will soon probably be in the market for a new offensive coordinator because all signs are pointing towards Bill O'Brien heading back to the Patriots. I, I don't know. I'm not asking you to predict who they're going to go get, but I, I just think it's it's so interesting how 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 comfortable. I mean, we've talked about this a lot over the over the dynasty, the year, the the Saban dynasty. How comfortable Nick is just turning it over. What's really interesting to me, Ralph, and and well, first let me say this: offensive coordinator hire is going to be fascinating. Please open the door, show me Cliff Kingsbury, and and let's have a lot of fun down in Tuscaloosa. That would be like my dream for the Alabama offense. That that's where my that's where my head goes to. You know, I don't watch enough NFL and I don't watch enough Cardinals and I don't know the X's and O's breakdowns enough so somebody could tell me like why it didn't work and is there something fundamentally wrong with what Cliff is trying to do or if there was just some kind of disconnect between players and so I I don't I can't judge that but I know what I know and what I know is that Cliff Kingsbury's offenses are usually pretty good so yeah I'd like to see that yeah that would be really fascinating from a defensive coordinator perspective Ralph you know we've had so much turnover at offensive corner of Alabama it's interesting to think that they really had very little on defensive coordinator across the years a lot of that is because Kirby Smart did the job for so long but you know Smart, Pruitt, Golding just not a lot of turnover and I think that's a commitment by Nick Saban to get the defense right and to find the right guy and to give him the tools he needs to be successful. 
it'd be I don't think Jeremy Pruitt is a candidate this time. Um, well, I don't know, because like, his name has been popping up. And, I, you know, you would think that now is not really the time you do that. You probably want to wait until that NCAA stuff has been fleshed out, uh, at least knowing what it's going to be. But I don't know. Again, like I, I kind of go back to where Michigan was with Harbaugh. I don't think anybody cares about this stuff anymore. I mean, I think once Kansas gave Bill Self a lifetime contract during an investigation, I think at that point everybody said, eh, whatever, you know, just we'll, we'll deal with it. Just yeah, let us know what the deal is if we have to sit him out. It doesn't seem like like Saban would want to do that, like like make a hire where there's some uncertainty. But I just don't know if people care anymore. Yeah, I think they would care if Pruitt gets the job and all of a sudden he gets a show cause order. I, so I, I think there's... I don't know if you want to walk into that mess as good a job as he did before in sixteen seventeen. You know, look, Jim Leonard is available. That's the Cliff Kingsbury level splash yeah, higher, yeah. I think, on defense for them. And I don't know if it's reasonable or if it's realistic. But from a schematic perspective, with his focus on defensive backs, uh, with his NFL experience, I think the mesh with Nick Saban is probably a lot smoother as an outsider than you might expect. But look, if they want to stay in house. Uh, Glenn Schumann at Georgia seems like the most obvious fit, Ralph. But I just don't know why would he leave Georgia for that? For the opportunity to be the sole coordinator? I mean, he calls plays now for the Bulldogs, but there are a lot of you know chefs in the kitchen on that job. Does yeah, he with, want to go to Alabama, Mustang, maybe get a little bit more freedom? I don't know. What do you think? Um, maybe uh, you know. I I still think that there is a little of that Saban shine that maybe you know, and maybe that hasn't fully transferred to Kirby yet. While the championships have, uh, this idea that I'm going to you know, and he's been through the the mill before. But if I'm going to go work as the defensive coordinator at Alabama and be you know you know on at, at the right hand of Nick Saban, that in some way elevates me more than it does being at Georgia. I I, I don't know. I, I, you know, again, I'm not. Sh- and you you're right. There's a dynamic there of how much is Kirby hands-on with the defense. Muschamp was there, too. So, yeah, the, the Schumann thing would make a lot of sense as as well. But I don't know. You're right. I, I don't know if there should be that much of a difference anymore. We just last week were, calling, were saying how Georgia is now the new Alabama. So if I'm at Georgia, why do I have to go to Alabama if it's not, yeah, also, if it's I- not a straight-up promotion? Yeah, I mean, or a major raise into the $2 million range, which mm-hmm. might be what it takes. Alabama finished fourth nationally in total defense last year, yards per play. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't I don't know what they want out of their defense. Like, what do they want? I mean, how good do you need to be? Do you need to be Iowa good? I don't know. But um, clearly there is, you know, they, they sent, you know, like you said, Pete Golding out to play with his friends out in Ole Miss, you know, so I don't know what they want from their defense, but rest assured they're going to pay some. I mean, I would imagine they're going to get up towards $4 million combined for these two coordinators. I don't think money is, is a problem for Alabama. They're going to open the bank. Yeah, it, it will be an interesting uh, part of the the next couple of weeks of off season to see what Alabama does. Um, I thought that there was one more subject I wanted to cover here with you, um, but but maybe not. I mean, because there's not nobody nobody has entered the draft or or that has been particularly notable. C.J. Stroud. Oh, let's let's talk about this. This is the the, the last thing to, of note because there was a little bit of buzz that oh maybe C.J. Stroud he hasn't declared yet, and he declared 24 hours before we're recording this at you know the date of the deadline. It was not surprising, but he waited a little longer than maybe was expected in that raised, I don't know, just a little bit of speculation that, hey, maybe he's got a big NIL deal and that will keep him. Uh, That's not happening with the C.J. Stroud, who might be 
a top five pick, might be the first overall pick. But it does seem to be happening with quarterbacks at a, at a different level. We see Bo Nix returning and Michael Penix returning. And maybe those guys would have returned anyway in the non-NIL era. But I also think that there is uh, a lot of value. I think quarterbacks who are outside of the first two days of the draft, who are being projected outside of the first two days, are now seeing viable reasons to return, make a, make a bunch of money, maybe even make better money initially uh, by staying in school. And it does seem like, at least at that position, we're influencing some, some decisions. Yeah, um, we heard a number about Drake May. Do you remember? Yes, um, yes. So uh, we we can't really talk about that uh, in terms of what we heard, but we 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 are all hearing numbers about what QBs are getting to stay, um, or at least to stay at your current program. And I think you nailed it. I, I think the difference comes down to let's just say a million, a million dollars for a Bo Nix or a Penix, and we don't know what the numbers are just because you cited those guys as examples. That's a reason to stay in the draft or stay out of the draft when your future looks like, oh, I'm being taken by the Browns and, you know, the, with, in the fifth round, I'm getting 485000 guaranteed and a, you know, $350,000 signing bonus. Uh, that number as a college player looks really good to hang around for a year, boost your stock. But a yeah. million dollars for a year doesn't really compare to, you know, $40 million over eight years or $40 million over five years that a CJ Stroud can make after he signs his sixth year deal, whatever that looks like, or however this kind of alignment works for contracts. So I understand why Stroud doesn't stay, but you're right. I think guys who are not assured of being in the top 15 or 20 picks or even in the top 10 picks, there's a real argument for coming back and getting paid for a year. So it's going to impact the draft. I think specifically from a QB position or, or more specifically from positions that can be dramatically boosted with one more year of tape. And I think for guys like Penix and Knicks, one more year of tape is good for him, especially Penix, to show that he can stay healthy and have another productive year. That could land him a, a big time, big time uh, a draft slot in 2024. So I get that. I understand it. But it doesn't really apply to guys like Stroud. Yeah, maybe maybe some of these guys with one more good year have the, the Hendon Hooker bump, right? Because we think of Hendon Hooker and what he did last year, but really it was a two-year run. Hendon Hooker played great in 2021, too. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a first-rounder, but I think he's got a chance to maybe slip into the first round where he wouldn't have been even discussed as that after one good year at Tennessee. You know, two good years at Washington, two good years at at Oregon and I, I'm forgetting other quarterbacks hey maybe it's it's Spencer Sanders you know um, I don't think Spencer Sanders is managing to work his way into the first round at this point but again it, the other part of it is the quarterback is the high profile position obviously in college you are quite literally the big man on campus so you're going to be able to draw a certain amount of NIL attention and value that maybe a running back or a lineman is not going to um, so yeah, why not? Why not max out on that while you can? So Paul, I want to wrap up. I, I have one question because you know we haven't seen each other that much, and then we saw a lot of each other over the last couple of weeks, and I, I'm a little worried. Do you think uh, we may have damaged our friendship by seeing so much of each other? Yeah, this is bad. I think we need to um, immediately institute a, a six to eight month silence period. <laughs> um, both meditate on this for a bit. Um, it's a lot. Like uh, I saw you in Phoenix. I saw you in L.A. We're talking right now. Um, I assume this is going to satisfy us for years. Like I saw Dave Wilson for ESPN. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and I saw a lot of him. 
Uh, and to be honest, uh, that's enough. I mean, uh, it's time. You it's can time you can definitely tell. Yeah, I, I mean, for those of you who don't know Dave, I mean, he is definitely a person that you have to, you know, it's small doses. I mean, yeah. How oh, many boy. stories oh, about man. RC Slocum do you really need to hear? <laughs> they never stop. The dude's got RC Slocum stories like every day. It's RC Slocum. This like RC Slocum messaged me on Facebook. Uh, me and RC are going to get uh, going to get barbecue and. <laughs> And some Lone Star. It's just too much. It's just so much. So very small doses. But it was nice to see you guys. Um, it's time for us to embrace the full quietude of the off season. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just I am concerned, and I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's worrisome to me that um, that we have pushed the envelope. We've really rev this thing up a lot and we need to dial it back yeah yeah absence definitely makes the heart grow fonder when it comes to when it comes to you and i so when it comes to you absolutely (laughs) (laughs) paul meyerberg from usa today thank you so much for joining me this week on the pod of course life is full of ifs if you see potential in every day if you push for that promotion and even bigger ifs like if you say i do If you can cash flow like a pro and get paid up to two days early, if you can safeguard against surprises and supercharge your savings, the if in life becomes less iffy. Regions Life Banking makes it possible. If you're interested, let's talk about the if in life. Regions Bank embrace the if in life. Regions Bank, member FDIC. And now three now. First down. One thing that Paul mentioned that I wanted to circle back around on, uh, he said he thinks Michigan is moving toward a national championship in the next few years. So I get it. I understand why you would say that. You can't guarantee a national title. But if you're in the mix consistently, there is certainly a pretty good chance that one year things will break your way and you'll get one. That's why I kind of felt where Georgia was a couple of years ago. It seemed to be fairly obvious that they were building toward a national championship because they were creating a roster that was going to give them lots of opportunities to win a national championship. And one year or another, they were it was going to break their way and they were going to win one. And now they've won two and have a really good chance to maybe even win three. And who knows, maybe next year that will be the year for Michigan to break through because Michigan's going to be pretty damn good again next year. But here's where I'll disagree with my friend Paul and agree with my so-called nemesis, Ari Wasserman of The Athletic. At the very top of this sport, where national titles are determined, stars really do matter. And as much as Michigan seems to have found a formula for beating Ohio State, and Michigan is certainly bringing in very talented players and recruiting very well, I'm skeptical that the Wolverines are stocking talent at a high enough level to win multiple games late in a season into a postseason against the most elite tier of college football. And that's what it takes to win a 14 playoff, and it will be even tougher in a 12 team playoff after next season. Michigan is very clearly near the top of the sport right now, but the difference between the way Georgia and Alabama are constructed. And the way Michigan is constructed seems like it would be too much for Michigan to win it all. Second down, quick thought on the drama at Florida with star quarterback recruit. And I guess he's still kind of just a recruit because I don't think he's enrolled yet. Jaden Rashada, 
who, as of right now, has a signed letter of intent with the Gators. As of right now, as we're recording this podcast, who knows when you listen to this. Reports have been that NIL promises between Rashada and his family and Florida collectives were not fully kept. After doing some reporting myself, I'm confident that this is a fair and accurate assessment of the situation and that the dollar figures being thrown around were substantive. As with most things NIL, the tr- the lack of true transparency is maddening and makes for some very cautious journalism in this space. I don't necessarily care how much the young man was promised. What I mean what I mean by that is I care as a journalist to get it right, but I don't necessarily I'm not offended by the fact that he is getting this money or he might get this money or how much money he might make. That's capitalism. You are worth whatever one person is willing to pay you. But I keep coming back to this, the empowerment of boosters and schools farming out compensation to athletes to third parties is unsustainable and probably not the best way for this to work, even for the athletes in the end. Third down, this past college football season was a lot of fun with a lot of intrigue on the field, but it was weighed down by an inordinate amount of tragedy. The shooting at Virginia that took the lives of three Cavaliers football players and the sudden death of Mike Leach, the Mississippi State football coach, were among the most notable stories, but unfortunately not the only heartbreakingly sad tales of this season. After Georgia held its national championship parade last weekend, yet another tragedy struck when Bulldogs offensive lineman Devin Willock and recruiting staffer Chandler LaCroix were killed in a car wreck. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Georgia the entire community, and the families of those young people. There has been way too much grieving the past few months around college football. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.